Sit back in your seats, get something to eat, and watch this movie. Don't let the kids see it, because, well, let, let, we'll let you hear the video. Thank you. Hello and welcome to Left of the Projector. I am your host, Evan, back again with another film discussion from the left. Before we get into our conversation this week, I wanted to make a couple quick housekeeping announcements. The first, in addition to the already existing TikTok account, Left of the Projector Pod, and YouTube account, Left of the Projector Pod, you can also follow the show on Instagram at also Left of the Projector Pod. Uh, So whatever your platform of choice is, I am not yet on Twitter. I do have Twitter, but something tells me I can't get back into that absolute mess of Twitter. Um, But yes, TikTok, YouTube, Instagram, at Left of the Projector Pod. This week, I come to you with a bonus episode. So in between our regularly scheduled guest-filled episodes... I'm going to be talking about one of the greatest horror movies of all time. And yes, it could be Halloween, but it's not Halloween. This week, I want to get into a maybe a shorter discussion about the movie Black Christmas. If you have not seen Black Christmas, you should, as soon as this podcast is over, go watch Black Christmas. I will try not to get too deep into some of the spoilers of this movie uh, as far as, you know, who the killer is, as it is a a slasher type movie. I will maybe let that one stay between me and uh, anyone who has already seen the movie. But Black Christmas is truly one of the most underappreciated, although I guess it's not really underappreciated because I think if you're a horror film buff and love the horror genre, specifically slasher and psychological thrillers, you probably have already seen Bob Clark's Black Christmas. Now, one thing to know about this movie is that it came out in 1974. It came out a number of years before Halloween, John Carpenter's absolute classic of a movie. Now, John Carpenter has said in interviews that this movie was an inspiration into making his movie, and uh, the director of Black Christmas, Bob Clark, has felt no uh, animosity toward Carpenter for turning, you know, Black Christmas into his Halloween franchise that spawned, I think, around 13 movies at last count. Anyway, Black to back to Black Christmas. This movie, while it was after some of the early psychological thrillers like Psycho, really created a new way to look at the slasher slash psychological thriller. Um, He really brought in some elements that we now see in, you know, movies from the later 70s and 80s and today. So one of the opening scenes of the movie is you get that first person point of view camera, which is the killer's eyes, which is so prominent in the other major franchises like Halloween, uh, Friday the 13th, and not so much Freddy Krueger, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. But the other thing about this movie is that was really ahead of its time is that it's primarily an entire female cast. Yes, there are some male um, actors in this movie that play prominent roles, but you really have a type of film that put the female actor as the main focal point and not just the helpless person 
who would then be killed later in the movie. And I don't know if you've heard of the uh, the Bechdel test. Um, this is uh, something that a, a friend of mine, actually, who was on the last episode on Pleasantville, mentioned to me. And while I'd heard of it, I hadn't really done much thinking about it in terms of the movies that I've been reviewing so far. Um, but the Bechdel test is has three criteria, uh, that there are at least two women that are featured, that these women talk to each other, and they discuss something other than a man. Now, this movie has, uh, let's see, one, two, three, four, five or so female characters as the setting of the movie is inside of a sorority house. Uh, the film is, is, uh, uh, takes place in Canada, although there's no real mention of the location. Um, but the setup to this movie is that there's a party in this house with a lot of these female characters talking to each other. Uh, they have one older character who is sort of like the den mother, who's the, you know, the kind of the caretaker, um, woman that is part of the sorority and she lives in the house to, you know, make sure they're, they're staying out of trouble. Although if you've seen this, you'll know that Miss Mack, the uh, the den mother is anything but this. She is constantly drinking. But let's get back to the Bechdel test. So when we look at this movie, we see that there are more than two women featured. There are constantly conversations between the two. And there's often discussions of things other than men. So really, you can look at this movie uh, in comparison to most horror films where you do have that sort of damsel in distress or the female character um, gets killed. And really, it's an excellent way for um, you to see, you know, one of these horror genres, not in the typical, you know, rules that, you know, horror movies tend to fall under. Um, and then again, for my horror fans out there, I'm sure you've seen Scream, um, which is sort of like a spoof and bringing back the horror genre. You know, Wes Craven did an awesome job with most of those movies, maybe with the exception of the third uh, installment of that uh, four movie uh, what's was after a trilogy? I don't know. Um, but my, my point being is that in Scream, they talk about the rules of surviving a horror film. And, you know, you can see that from Halloween and Prom Night and the uh, Friday the 13th, you know, series of movies. But in this movie, there really is no rules. It allowed the director, again, Bob Clark, to do as he pleased. He didn't have to worry or he didn't consider worrying about ways in which the movie had to go. Who would be killed? Who wouldn't be killed? You know, the idea of it being a virgin or there being a person of color that's one of the first to get killed in the movie. So this this movie really disregarded all of those rules and said, we're just going to make a psychological thriller. So I've been calling this movie a slasher film. The director calls this movie a psychological thriller. Um, you can say it's both because there there isn't you know, the ways in which the murders take place occur in different ways. So there isn't the, you know, actual slashing or stabbing, um, you know, in the movie. Um, but it really turns some of this genre uh, on its head. Um, and this, again, not to take anything away from Halloween, because it's probably my favorite horror movie. But Black Christmas, you know, it's very close to uh, to sitting on top of that mantle. Uh, as far as best slasher movies. So uh, the other thing about this movie is that the the killer is continuously making phone calls to the sorority house. And the, the very opening scene, we do see the killer enter the sorority house unnoticed and hiding away in the attic. And as the film progresses, 
we see additional phone calls that are being placed to the home. And they're prank calls of various voices, a mother, a father, a baby, a person. And they're very, very disturbing phone calls. And they're constantly making the the, the female characters in this in this movie, you know, be very on edge. And this is where we get back to the Bechtel test. So they're constantly referring and talking to this phone, to about this phone uh, a prankster they call the moaner. Um, but they're not always talking about a man in the sense of, oh, you know, uh, does he like me? Does he not like me? In the more superficial sense, it's more about how they feel extremely uncomfortable with what's happening with this, uh, you know, strange prank caller that apparently has been doing this for several weeks. And as we see later, that it turns out, again, I know I said no spoilers, but you're, you've been warned. There is going to be a spoiler here. Um, but we, we learned that the, the phone calls by the, the killer or by the moaner is the killer who is in the house. So in this old house that takes, you know, 1974, they have multiple phone lines that can be, you know, used for any of my, you know, uh, 90s or 80s uh, listeners uh, or people who grew up in the 90s and 80s who had, you know, a phone line at home and had to use call waiting. And then, you know, maybe at some point got that second line, <laughs> you know, so you could make two phone calls at once. Um, you had this in this house. So presumably it was for the dead mother, uh, Mrs. Mack, that had a separate phone line and that the the uh, the killer was using this line. And um, another aspect of this movie in, in relation to this whole phone idea is that this is really the absolute first time that the idea of the trope, the call is coming from inside the house is utilized. Now, this is based on an urban legend uh, from the 1950s, where there was supposedly a killer inside someone's house um, while the babysitter was downstairs and ends up murdering the babysitter. Um, and so the idea and the belief was that the killer was inside the house terrorizing the babysitter. Again, this is uh, an unsolved mystery from the 1950s, so we don't really know, but this is where this kind of babysitter, urban legend type of situation has, you know, been used. Uh, we see this in other movies later on, but this is the first time in a horror movie where you have the phrase or the or the line, the call is coming from inside the house. I, I'll get Phil and Bob. No, 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 don't do that, Jess. Yes, the caller is in the house. The calls are coming from the house. Jess! Jess! Get up! And don't go up there! Don't go upstairs, Jess! Miss Bradford! Miss Bradford! So anyone out there who has not, didn't know that, now you do. Now, another aspect of this movie that is very groundbreaking that you know, really makes it sort of a, a different kind of, it's kind of its own animal when it comes to being a horror movie in this kind of, in this genre, but, you know, on its own as a standalone rule uh, bending kind of movie is that one of the characters in the movie, um, her name is uh, Jess, uh, has a boyfriend named Peter. Now, in the movie, you know, they allude to Peter being the murderer. And I know I've given away a little bit of spoilers, but I won't spoil whether her boyfriend is the murderer or not. But you can you can follow uh, along here and see, you know, how that might play in. But 
in the movie, uh, this couple, Jess, who lives in the in the in the sorority house, and Peter, her boyfriend, who is a uh, trying to be a concert pianist at the university that they're at. Jess learns that she's pregnant, and she notifies Peter um, that she is pregnant, and she intends to have an abortion. Now, I don't know about you, but I cannot think of any movies from the 1970s or earlier, especially, or even you know the 1980s where. Especially in a movie that's not a drama drama movie, or you know, a movie where this might be more commonly introduced. But the idea of bringing up abortion in a horror movie is something that I don't think anyone had seen until this point, and I don't think that anyone has brought up in a horror movie since then. And so the the woman Jess decides that she doesn't want to have the baby, and Peter, her boyfriend really freaks out. He tells her that he she can't make that choice without him, basically using the common tropes of, you know, the conservative right now with abortion that, you know, that women don't actually have bodily autonomy, that somehow he has the say in what she can and can't do with her own body, which of course is bullshit. So, you know, she confronts him about this and then later in the movie uh, when she returns home again, Peter is there waiting for her in kind of a surprise scene where, you know, you believe that she might, you know, about to be killed. Uh, Peter is kind of waiting in the house for her. And he, again, kind of threatens her, saying that, you know, she cannot terminate the pregnancy. You selfish bitch. You're talking about killing our baby as though you were having a wood removed. Now can you see why I didn't want to tell you? What the hell are you trying to do to me? What are you doing to yourself? Jess, let's get one thing straight. You are not going to abort that baby. Peter, you're not going to tell me what I can and cannot do. Jess, if you try getting an abortion... I think you better leave. If you try getting an I abortion... I said get out. You're going to be very sorry. And so this is where you, you you don't know. Is Peter this creepy, weird concert pianist loner who is a is capable of murder? Or is he just the typical, you know, uh, toxic masculinity, you know, uh, personified character that, you know, believes that he can tell women what they can do with their own bodies? So th- this aspect of the film is really something that, you know, surprised me the first time I saw it. It really jumps out as something that's pretty awesome in a in a horror movie um, at all, but let alone in 1974. Um, the other aspect to this movie, and uh, you know, maybe other horror fans will appreciate this, but at some point they go to the police because they want to report this person who is the moaner and constantly harassing them, and the police officer doesn't take them seriously. He thinks they're being hysterical. You know, the typical, oh, the hysterical woman, you know, uh, is just uh, making a big deal about some, you know, boyfriend making silly calls to them. So there's that aspect to it. Now, the other aspect to the police is that the chief, or sorry, not the chief, the lieutenant at the police station, uh, Ken Fuller, is played by John Saxon. And anyone out there who is a horror buff will know that, John Saxon is part of the um, Nightmare on Elm Street um, series of movies as the main police officer in charge of catching Freddy Krueger. 
So it's a pretty cool that he's in this movie. You know, you want to say, you know, typecasting type situation. He's been in a lot of other kinds of movies, but he's, he's pretty great in this movie, uh, albeit in kind of a limited role. Um, but to, to get back to the police aspect, you know, there is this sense that these women are not telling the truth. They're not to be believed. They're hysterical. And so because of the police's inaction, we end up seeing several more of the you know, the women in this home are are murdered. Um, whether or not the, the police would have been able to prevent it had they taken it seriously, probably not. Um, but they definitely could have begun to consider their problem and, uh, you know, done something about it. And what ends up really does happening is that we learn about midway in this movie is that a small uh, 13 year old girl is murdered and, and left in the park. And they do a search to find her. And we, we don't know until later that the killer is the same one uh, of this child as all the other women. But with this, you know, raised tensions, the police decide to take things a bit more seriously. And also one of the uh, fathers of the first women who was murdered in this movie, Claire, uh, the the father is there to meet her and to take her presumably home, you know, for the holiday break. As again, as the, the title entails, Black Christmas, it takes place around Christmas. Um, but the, the father, Mr. Harrison... Um, goes to the police with the other women and assists in kind of getting them to take the situation more seriously. So th- this is a this again this is one of those more common tropes of horror and other movies where women are not to be believed, taken seriously, and you know the only person who eventually believes them is the you know the the hero or whatever you want to call him, uh, Lieutenant Fuller, again played by John Saxon. So. Um, you know the 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 uh, piece of this movie that I want to maybe touch on before I uh, end this little bonus episode is that you know the the rule bending that I've talked about where you know there's no the rules associated with this movie, um, but there are so many little tropes, sort of mini tropes in this movie that are then replicated. And I don't want to say copied because I don't think that they're doing them to steal the ideas. You know, movies are often built on the concepts that previous movies did. Uh, So I think that, you know, I could say copied, but I think it's just, you know, using some of the techniques and artistry in new ways. Um, The music in this movie is also not as nearly as awesome as the movie in Halloween. I mean, can you not think of the Halloween uh, song when you're watching, you know, even the scenes where there's no music? John Carpenter is a master of using, um, raising and lowering the volume in certain scenes to create that tension. Um, That's one thing in this movie that doesn't quite have the same effect. There isn't as much of that, you know, high and low tension points. It's more, you know, uh, feelings of uh, dread and and fear that you sometimes get when you see the image of the killer who has again been hiding in the in the attic um, of this of the sorority house. So um, there really is some cool aspects of it. Um, but th- th- this movie really did such awesome things to uh, push forward the genre. You know, there's a couple. You know, some people might call the golden age for. 
the slasher type movie to be the, you know, 1979 when Halloween came out through, you know, maybe the mid to late 80s. And then the resurgence with the Scream franchise and some others in the uh, late 90s and early 2000s. Um, but I think you really should go back to 1974 um, and say that this might have been the the unlocking of the psychological slasher horror film genre. So I really wanted to just hop in for this little bonus episode to talk about a movie that uh, came up um, for me just recently, doing a rewatch, recommending it to some uh, friends who had not seen it. Um, you know, I actually hadn't seen this movie until a couple of years ago. And I know that's kind of sad considering I call myself a horror fan, especially the slasher genre. So uh, I'm glad that I did finally catch this movie. And I recommend anyone to watch this movie. I believe you can watch it for free on Peacock and a couple other websites out there, you know, without uh, without having to pay for it. I believe it used to be only on AMC Plus, but now you can get your Black Christmas fill. Uh, and make sure you do not watch the remakes that happened, I believe, in 2007 and 2018 or 19 or so. Um, from my understanding, because I, until this point, refuse to see them, they are apparently absolute dog shit. So I'd steer clear of those. Um, if you're a completionist and you love Black Christmas and you want to see those movies, check them out. And if you do, you know, hit me up on Instagram, TikTok, and let me know what you think. Uh, I just posted a video about this movie uh, in a much shorter format, you know, about a minute long, just telling you how great Black Christmas is, um, as I've now spent the last 20 or so minutes doing. Uh, thank you for your for your support and listening to Left of the Projector. I am Evan, your host. Have a great one.